Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. My guest this weekend is Ralph Martiri. He is the executive director of the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability. That's a bipartisan think tank that looks at government and where your money is going. It was founded in 2000. Among many other accomplishments, Mr. Martiri helped pass the current school funding formula that has meant more money for some financially challenged school districts serving poor children in the state. He's been a guest on this program several times before. Ralph Martiri, welcome back. Well, thanks for having me on the program, Craig. You want to talk about all happiness and sunshine like the state budget? Uh, yeah, boy, if only there were happiness and sunshine anywhere in there. Um, but maybe we'll find a couple of uh, glimmers. Uh, well, first, your your assessment uh, of, of that big question. What do you think are the odds that Illinois lawmakers will be able to arrive at some kind of budget agreement uh, this spring, reasonable or not? Well, I think your intelligence is spot on. I and mean, you'll have just as many people say they see a budget deal on the horizon in both parties as don't. And some say, well, maybe we'll get a six-month accommodation. Some say a full year. Some say nothing. So it's unclear, actually, whether we'll get a budget this year, which is a very interesting thing. If there's not a final comprehensive budget signed this year, Governor Rauner will have gone four years without ever agreeing on a general fund budget with the General Assembly. Fiscal year 2016 and 17, his first two years in office, no final budget passed. That was a historic thing in the in America. No state had gone two years without passing a general fund budget ever in the history of our country. Last year, we got a budget, fiscal 2018, but only over the governor's veto. So Governor Rauner has actually never been able to negotiate a budget with the General Assembly. Although he would probably position it, as he will, I'm sure, in his campaign, is that that's because he has steadfastly stood against the kinds of things that Democrats want to do in the state and that He's the last man at the barricades. Yeah, I don't know what kinds of things he's talking about. I mean, they, and, and then they could include, like, balancing the budget. I find it very interesting that his rhetoric consistently has been, I'm introducing a balanced budget proposal. You know, no, he's not. And, in fact, he held form again in 2019 for his budget proposal. It is not balanced. And when you look at the numbers, it actually grows the accumulated bu- budget deficit at a minimum, from just over $9 billion to over $10 billion, or roughly 38% of our current expenditures on core services. And just in case people don't know what those are, because a lot of people don't, 9 out of $10 at the general fund, so 90% of the expenditures go to four things, education, health care, social services, and public safety. And so he is literally going to, if he gets his budget exactly as introduced, grow our accumulated deficit by a billion. Um if you can do it in a uh, simple uh, layman's way, where is the hole? Uh, you know, because he is saying it's balanced. Where is there spending and and not uh, not revenue coming in? Well, he he literally spends more revenue than he has coming in. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, in his own budget proposal, but 
it only looks as if he grows the deficit by a billion. He actually grows it by significantly more than that. And there's a couple of reasons for this. And number one, he's counting on well over $400 million in savings from cutting retiree health care benefits. Well, two problems with that. Number one, he suggested doing that every year he's been in office and he has never gotten the state public employee unions to sign off on it, number one, never. Number two, the Illinois Supreme Court ruled those retiree health care benefits are protected as pension benefits under the Illinois Constitution and cannot be cut. And yet, He's counting on over $400 million in savings from cutting these very benefits, which, number one, he's never been able to negotiate, and number two, are unconstitutional to cut. So there you go. The deficit's actually going to be bigger than what he put on the table. Mm-hmm. There's other problems, of course, with his proposal. He has suggested pushing pension costs down to local school districts from the state. That's the regular teacher pension cost. That's the normal cost. So the cost of funding current benefits. This is something the state has always paid for what's called the down state schools, that is every school other than CPS. And last year, the state agreed to put CPS on equal footing with other schools across Illinois. So last year for the first year in in the 2018 budget, the state of Illinois actually picked up the normal cost for CPS. 2019, Governor Rauner says, you know what? I don't like that deal. We're going to throw that full cost back at CPS. Well, there's another $220 million that he's going to, quote unquote, save that no way it's going to pass and no way any Chicago-based legislator would be in support of. Uh, and more importantly, I think it's it's bad public policy. I mean, if you look at st- the state of Illinois and how it funds K-12 education, Every national study shows, and and the data at the National Center for Education Statistics show, Illinois happens to rank 50th out of the 50 states in the portion of education funding covered by state-based resources. We're number one in reliance on property taxes. If these significant costs, $220 million to CPS, another $220 million to downstate schools, gets kicked down, that's, that's almost a half a billion dollars that now is going to have to be picked up by local property taxes that was covered by the state before. Well, where are local schools, including CPS, going to get that local property tax revenue from? Are they going to raise property taxes? Probably not. What they're going to do is take money that used to go into the classroom, that they had to put in the classroom because the state so woefully underfunded education, so they had to raise it from property tax. They're going to take that property tax money that formerly went into the classroom and divert it to covering this pension cost that the state used to cover. Or Literally, they're going to have to raise Or property. raise property taxes. And it's more likely they're taking it out of the classroom. But any way you look at it, Governor Rauner's proposal will grow the budget deficit worse than what just the numbers would indicate, number one. And number two, are very bad for K-12 education and will result in lesser spending in K-12 overall next year than this year. Well, now let me, because this was one of the issues I did want to talk to you about, uh, let me raise the uh, the the point that is often raised about this, and, and, and I think to a lot of people makes sense. Is it not only fair that the pensions that local school districts agree to be covered by them because you and I both know when a s- teachers are threatening to go on strike or are on strike, the school systems have usually two choices. You can raise salaries to get them back or you can say, we'll sweeten your pensions. And, well, and, actually, and, and, and actually is, the pension benefit levels are a creature of state law. Well, 
they are not within the discretion of, of the locals. Now, what locals can do and have done in the past, as you know, Craig, mm-hmm. is they'll bump up teacher compensation and or administrator compensation in the final three or four years to bump up the final pension calculation. But right. not the actual benefits that they could provide, those are set by state law. But they still find ways to, to and, and frankly, if you know that the state is going to pick up those costs, that's a real easy call. Yeah, and, 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 although and, it's not a significant cost. I mean, if you look at the normal cost of our pension systems, number one, they're they're very low compared to the unfunded liability costs, the, the what we haven't put in over time. And they're right around national averages. And number two, the worst of those abuses have really been done away with. There's now a maximum on what local school districts can do in bumping up compensation and anything over that is on them if it bumps up the pension benefit. So they, they're picking it up. And number three, un, uh, under, well, tier three, the new pension law that passed, the new pension systems, normal cost is going to start going down to the local school level anyway. So big picture, if you look at it, if we were starting in a perfect world and we were allocating responsibility for costs in that perfect world, you would probably say local school districts should have their normal cost responsibility for funding pensions. That would be a rational starting point. This is not a perfect world. This is Illinois. And Illinois is starting from a place where it already ranks 50th in school fun- in the portion of school funding covered by state-based resources. Going lower by shifting even more of the cost to local property co- taxes in that context makes absolutely no sense. And in reality, what it means is money out of the classroom. So it, it, it would theoretically make sense if we were starting from scratch. But you have to put everything in context. And the context here is the state is already a laggard when it comes to funding K-12 education. You mentioned at the beginning of the program that we passed a new school funding model. The formula is called the evidence-based right. model. Well, the State Board of Education's run it. And, and, and what this model does is it looks at those educational practices, which have had a statistically meaningful correlation to enhancing student achievement over time, and it funds them based on each school district's unique student population, including its low income count, special needs count, English language learners, et cetera. Well, what the State Board of Education said is to fully fund the evidence-based model that is put into K-12 what the evidence suggests is needed for all children to succeed. We need to almost double what the state is funding put in 7.2 billion more last year, the state only put in 7.6 billion total. So the bottom line is in a system that is that underfunded from state-based resources to begin with, to then kick more responsibility down to local property taxes to fund education for any reason makes no sense from a number standpoint. And from a tax burden standpoint, it's, it's horrible. I mean, only those communities that actually have significant property tax wealth are going to be able to weather this kind of thing. And those low to moderate in communities across the state of Illinois that are struggling to educate their kids in this underfunded system are going to be put at peril. Well, let me ask, because we are in uh, an election year, does the, I mean, do the vagaries of an election year where sometimes people's motives are questioned about why they do what they do, does it help or hinder the process of getting a budget? You know, I think that that's a better question for Speaker Madigan, Governor Rauner, Senate President Cullerton, you know, the people that are 
engaged in the political boxing match of trying to gain They're going to point their advantage. fingers at each other and say, yeah. well, it's worse because that guy is going to try and trip me up. Exactly. So I think what you're going to, what you what the real answer to that is a political calculation. Does whomever the deciding person, whether it's the governor, the speaker, et cetera, believe there's greater political advantage in having no budget, having a budget or not? And I think that's going to drive the conversation. I mean, that's why, Craig, when you talk to legislators, you get such a wide array of answers as to whether or not there'll be a budget. It's really unclear as of this moment, late April, whether there's going to be a full or partial budget come the end of May. Although the Democrats, who are being accused of wanting a half-year budget, keep insisting publicly anyway that they absolutely do not and that they don't know where the Republicans got this idea. So, uh, but you're down there a lot more than I am. Well, I'm not down there at all anymore. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, are you hearing back-channel talk that, Really, that is still a choice that's being made? I have heard conversation, and not necessarily more so from one party or the other, that one of the things that will probably go on the table is a partial year budget. And and that's not that's not some sort of back-channel chatter. I mean, that's, I think, elected officials looking at what's happened in the past and saying if the past is any barometer at all what the future could be, this is one way we've gotten out of budget crises in the past is by doing a half-year budget. Mm. Uh, but I don't, I don't think there's any, you know, on, on this one, I don't think there's any uh, manipulative or duplicitous intent here. I think what you're hearing is legislators honestly evaluating what the options might end up being. And I think if someone is telling you, I'm not going to speculate one way or the other. If someone is telling you this is not a Democratic proposal, then I'm sure at this juncture they're not being disingenuous. At, at this juncture, I'm sure they'd prefer to have a for, full budget. Um, let me ask uh, quickly uh, if, if, if this can be a quick answer. The General Assembly approved an income tax increase for the current fiscal year, and some Republicans even sided with the Democrats to do that. So does that pretty much rule out another tax hike in this uh, budget that they're trying to hammer out now? I think it makes it difficult. I mean, honestly, I mean, those are the politics. It's it's awfully hard to enhance your revenue streams, increase taxes two years in a row. It's especially hard when that second year happens to be an election year because the issue just becomes demagogued rather than something that's discussed rationally. So what they did last summer when they passed SB9 was generate about $5 billion more in new revenue for the state, which was sorely needed. The wheels were coming off. Our accumulated deficit was north of $16 billion in a general fund that was only spending $24 billion on current services. That's just not a sustainable place to be when your deficit's two-thirds of your current expenditures. So they absolutely needed new revenue. But I think taking the longer picture, you really see what the driving problem is here. So when you adjust for inflation, so to get a real comparison – the expenditures in the budget that did pass over the governor's veto for 2018 on all services were 22% lower than where they were in 2000 under Governor Ryan after inflation. That's a major cut in current expenditures on services, especially when you think that those services are really those core areas, education, health, social services, and public safety. Overall, though, general fund spending in real terms was up by 3% even though service expenditures were down by 22. Now, how does that data work together? And the answer is simple. 
our debt service obligations have grown so significantly that when you add those to the current service expenditures and then adjust for inflation and compare 2000 to 2018, you see 3% growth. This is all growth, literally all growth caused by growth in debt service, and that's debt service to the state's five pension system. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking about budgets, pensions, and other things that sound boring but should scare you to death. Uh, my guest is Ralph Martiri, executive director of the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability. Um, and and I'm, I'm only half joking about that. I mean, this is a, a, a scary... Uh, time uh, for the state. And we are told that legislators are supposed to be meeting to agree at least on revenue numbers, which even for that, you know, for them, that would be a a significant change over the last couple of years. What evidence is there that this is going to be realistic, that it's not going to get bogged down by political posturing, that not just the revenue, but I mean, the whole process? Are you sensing a different uh, tone among the rank and file? I mean, the leaders are always their own entity. But... You know, honestly, Craig, if it were up to the rank and file legislators, they would have been able to craft rational budget compromises every year since Governor Rauner's been in office. And, you know, behind the scenes, you, you see that there is consistently attempts to cross party lines and try to craft these rational solutions. The problem is, Leadership hasn't really allowed these kind of rational conclusions to go forward. And in some cases, I, I hate to, my group is bipartisan, so we hate to just put the the primary onus at the feet of one side or the other. We try to stay balanced. But I have to say, the governor's office has really been the biggest challenge. And, I, and the evidence of that was last summer, when finally a number of Republicans broke ranks with the governor and voted with the Democrats to override his veto. There have been numerous very, very public bipartisan efforts. You saw Senate President Cullerton with minority leader Christine Redonio a year ago. Go around the state, go to editorial board meetings and say, this is why we have to make a compromise. This is what's going to be in the compromise. They were working on that grand bargain. bargain, Remember that? And the governor pulled the rug out from under that at at the last minute. And so... It, the the governor has been the sticky wicket here, it, it, and it's pretty clear uh, over the last three years. And so, uh, yeah, the governor's in, in as we speak is in Germany, uh, trying to get the companies to come here. Is his being out of the country perhaps g- going to help the process? Well, it doesn't hurt, <laughs> but 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 uh, you know, it's it's unclear what's going to happen and whether or not the governor will allow. Republican rank and file legislators, you know, to to work on a grand bargain again with the Democrats in an election year. I mean, it's going to be a very hard fought gubernatorial election. There's going to be a lot of money spent on both sides. I think that's very clear. This is not saying anything that everyone doesn't know. So given that it's going to be a very, a very difficult and contentious gubernatorial election, it's unclear that that will incentivize Governor Rauner to be more likely to compromise and work out a grand bargain. I mean, he may dig in his heels even more. Um, I want to start to talk a little bit about the kind of tough choices that are facing the lawmakers and facing, frankly, facing the public in, in you know, behind them. Uh, according to the Auditor General, the state's general fund budget deficit grew to, well, $15 billion or more this year. Uh, 
what does that mean in real terms for everyday people? I mean, people hear those numbers that size, and it just kind of goes over, I think, in a lot of people's heads because we've been hearing that, but it's $15 billion. Yeah, I think, Craig, the best way to think about it is what we're currently spending on education, health, social services, and public safety in Illinois is not sustainable. Our, our, our current revenue system and our current debt load will not sustain our current level of expenditures. And as you said, that should scare everyone because our current level of expenditures are not sufficient to satisfy demographically driven need. We now have a hard number on education. So we know we're 7.2 billion short of what the K-12 system needs for all our children to be able to walk into a school that provides them with the opportunity they need to achieve academically. Isn't that really what we want our schools to be doing. So we're $7.2 billion short there. Social services have been cut by well over 22% in real terms since the year 2000. And, and, and these programs have never been robustly funded to begin with. Illinois has always ranked Midland to bottom of the nation in supporting all the human service categories. And, and that community continues to suffer. Higher education, higher education in Illinois has been cut by 51% since the year 2000 after inflation. And in fact, you don't even have to adjust for inflation. In nominal dollars, we are spending less on higher ed in 2018 than we did in 2000. Wow. It's, it's amazing. And we can't afford to be this low spending. That's what the numbers mean. So a bigger picture context, we need to really fix our fiscal policy so that we actually have the capacity to fund core services to the level sufficient to just satisfy our demographically driven needs. And Illinois does have that capacity, at least as a state. We have the sixth largest population of any state in America, but fifth largest economy, a $770 billion plus state GDP. The tax increase we would need over what they did last summer, $5 billion net last summer, uh, to, to, to solve our problems is in the 3 to $3.5 billion range and probably some combination of expanding our sales tax base to include some consumer services, some adjustments to the income tax, those sorts of things, right? Well, three three and a half billion, that's a big number, but let's put it in context of the state's economy. It's less than half of a percentage point of our economic activity. That is such a small tax increase in context of the state's economy, it cannot even be measured for its impact on jobs or anything else. It's too small to be measured. So from a You know you're gonna get argue you're you're uh, going to get arguments about the yes it is, it's gonna drive people away, yeah. it's gonna scare businesses from coming in, it's Yeah, and there's never been so there's never been a peer reviewed study that has found any statistically meaningful correlation between tax policy and job growth, economic growth, or business location. Never, never once. And in fact, even anti tax groups when they subject their work to peer review and I'll name two of them, the Cato Institute, not necessarily a friend of taxation or government spending, and the Kauffman Foundation for Entrepreneurship. Both found there's no statistically meaningful correlation between tax policy and job growth. I mean, it's just not true. And, and if you want more real-life examples, you could look at the examples of Minnesota, Kansas, and California recently, right? 
California and Minnesota, in response to fiscal crises, both raised their taxes and raised them significantly. Subsequently, their economies boomed, their unemployment rates went down, their job growth beat national averages, and all was well. Kansas took the supply-side economics approach of cutting taxes, on, in particular on the wealthiest Kansans, and in the belief that that would somehow stimulate economic growth, job creation, you know, trickle down all these new jobs. Well, no, Kansas's economy fell behind their neighbors in the nation in growth, significantly behind both Minnesota and California, by the way. And, and it resulted in such large deficits that Kansas cut spending on education so significantly the Kansas Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutionally denied children access to a quality education as required by the Kansas state constitution. So we have real life examples. We have all the research all telling us the same thing. When it comes to tax policy, what's really important is to simply get it right. So your your state government, your local government actually has the capacity to fund core services on a sustainable basis into the future. Because if you don't get it right, you, inc- you encourage really bad things, either cuts made to programs and services, not because they're wasteful and inefficient. Those are the kinds of things you should cut, but rather because you simply don't have the money to do what's needed. How is that okay? And, and or second, rather than taxing to spend, you borrow to spend. Well, that's precisely what they've done in the great state of Illinois. And, and our chosen target for borrowing was what? It was the five pension systems. So for generations, the state of Illinois underfunded the pensions intentionally, took the money that should have gone to cover normal costs to instead pay for education, health, social services, and, and public safety, and then wrote IOUs to the pension system. Well, those IOUs are now coming due. In fact, that's why when you look at general fund spending in total, including debt service growth since 2000, it's up by three points after inflation. It's all because of the ramp to repay the debt that we've owed the pensions. And that's the second big solution. What we have to do is take this repayment plan for the pension systems, just a debt service plan, like a mortgage or anything else that is so backloaded it is absolutely unaffordable. and un- I mean, literally, it grows in leaps and bounds, the amount we have to repay every single year. The increments are just not sustainable. And we need to level it out, make those payments level like they'd be for a mortgage or anything else that's a rational debt instrument, right? So that's like refinancing? The refinancing. We have found a way to refinance the state's pension debt, by the way, uh, and, and in a responsible way, not backloading costs anymore or whatever, that saves taxpayers $67 billion through the year 2045, which is when the current pension ramp ends. So it costs $67 billion less and still gets the systems 70% funded. They are currently only 39% funded. So it makes the systems healthier, it saves taxpayer money, and it's far more rational and attainable. So that, re-amortizing the pension debt, plus some minor adjustments to our tax policy, expanding the sales tax base, some tweaks to the income tax. And lo and behold, we could actually solve our fiscal problems, stop borrowing to spend, and start actually investing in the core services that our population demands. Well, we've got just about 30 seconds, so this is going to have to be a quick answer. There's real life and there's politics. Can something like that pass in an election year? You know, I don't know if it could pass in an election year. But I think it's it can certainly pass in a veto session or a lame duck session or in the first year of Governor Next. Well, 
That will be the final word on this. That is Ralph Martiri. He is executive director of the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability. Ralph, thank you. It's always a pleasure to see you, and thanks for uh, thanks coming Thanks for having back. me on the program, Craig. It's a great program. Well, to thank you. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. That is, uh, for those of you who've been with us for years, that is a fairly new uh, website. So remember, WBBMNewsRadio.com. Just follow, well, I can't say follow the audio links anymore because you don't have to. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.